everything is exactly the way it's meant to be. The clients you're meant to get will be in front of you. The clients you're not meant to get will never be your client, no matter how hard you work to get them. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today, we are sitting down with Peter Lorimer. This dude, um, I'm just stoked to be talking to this guy, to be honest with you guys. He is someone who I actually first got introduced to this dude by, um, I watched his show on Netflix. It's called Stay Here. And um, they basically find these uh, these places. They turn them into like really, really bougie looking Airbnbs. Um, really, really good show. Would actually recommend y'all check it out. But I first got exposed to Peter there. And then I sort of started digging deeper into his story. And I was just I was just blown away, to be honest. He's going to dive into it himself. But he got started actually in the house music scene in England. Um, like right when the house music scene in England was popping off, he was kind of at the head of that. He's got some crazy, crazy hits. I mean, like hitting top charts in the U.S and the UK like multiple, multiple times um, and then transitioned into real estate, which is a whole nother story, became one of the top selling, actually the top selling agents at Keller Williams in LA, which is just crazy. And I mean, he's going to dive into that as well, how he was able to really climb that so quickly. And then he went off to start his own brokerage uh, called PLG Estates, which we're going to dive into as well, which then led him into his Netflix show. Um, so this dude has got a crazy, crazy story. I'm extremely excited to sit down with him and to allow him to share that story with you guys. He's got some really valuable insights when it comes to sort of the mindset behind how he was able to strategically make all of these decisions and bring himself to the place where he's at today with literally zero regret about how any of it went. He is a very a grateful person, a very humble person, and I'm extremely excited to allow him to share his message with you on this episode of the podcast today. So without further ado, let's welcome Peter Lorimer to Young Smart Money. All right, Peter, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I just love the title. It's just so great, man. When I was young, nobody was smart with their money. So I think this is just an awesome podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you choosing to hop on the show. Um, now, our listeners got to hear a bit about you and what you're currently up to in the intro to the episode. But for those of them that aren't exactly familiar with who you are and what you're doing right now, give us a quick snapshot of, of where you are right now. And then we're going to sort of work our way back. Okay, so right now, um, currently I'm the host of a show on Netflix called Stay Here. Um, I am also the owner of LA's most kind of creative entrepreneurial real estate brokerage, which is an indie called PLG Estates. And I've been in the real estate industry for about 16 years. And prior to that, I was a, uh, a rave music a record producer slash DJ. And I'm sure we're going to get into that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm stoked to dive into it. And I know the audience is, is very interested in the world of real estate. Every time I have somebody um, who, who is in that, in that realm on the podcast, um, people respond very positively to it. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into that. But uh, before we do, let's flash back to um, those early years because I'm, I'm fascinated with how you got started. Yeah. So like, like talk to us about like, first of all, like your middle school, high school years, and then eventually how you oh. transitioned into, into the rave scene. <laughs> okay. Well, like many entrepreneurs, um, school wasn't really my best friend. Sure. Um, I grew up in a city in the north of England, a city called Leeds, which is near Manchester, mm -hmm. the industrial north of England, kind of like a Detroit, Pittsburgh kind of vibe, okay. right? And I loathed school. I loathed everything about it. I, f I thought none of this is going to be applicable in real life. 
my father was a, uh, he actually was a, a college lecturer and a jazz musician. Wow. And the jazz musician part always fascinated me. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of spare you the grisly details. I got expelled from a couple of schools. I was always in trouble. I was always in the top class for everything, but I, I, I always failed miserably. Like it was A for ability, E for effort, because I just hated school. And like many, uh, like many people do, we escape into something. Fortunately, I escaped into music and not into crime or drugs or other stuff. And I found a niche in, in music. And my, my, my brother, he played, my older brother played trumpet. My dad played saxophone. So I'm like, okay, I want to play with my brother and my dad. And all they had left at my crappy school was a trombone. So that was rotting in the closet, in the music closet. And they said, well, you can have this. And I so wanted to escape the life I was in that I just plowed everything into that trombone, as crappy as it was. Wow. And obsessively practiced, obsessively worked at it. And within a very short while, I flew past my brother and my dad. And at 13, I was actually given uh, a free scholarship to the Royal College of Music. Wow. Which they don't give out. I was the most exceptional, supposedly the most exceptional classical trombonist in Britain of my age. <laughs> right? Crazy. So the intensity of my mind began with that. And then in Britain, well, I was a tall kid, right? I was six foot at 13. And in England, not encouraging this to your listeners, because I know you've got a lot of new, uh, youthful listeners. In England, you don't need to show ID or you didn't. So I used to go to bars and clubs at like 15, 16, when I was on tour with orchestras. Um, and I remember the day back in the 80s when I discovered uh, a record by a gentleman from Chicago called Steve Silt Hurley. The name of the record was Jack Your Body and it was the birth of Chicago House. Ooch, 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 right? And I was like, screw the trombone. <laughs> I want to do that. Wow, from and classical so to, to house. I, I, I wanted to get into it. It, it, it consumed. Now, I, I guess this is the trait of, of, of entrepreneurs, right? We get kind of addicted to stuff, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's very hard to pull the nose of the plane up. So I was obsessed with house music. I dropped out of high school to run off to London. I was 15. Don't advise this to your, to your viewers. It was different times back then. And kissed my mom goodbye. And she was like, uh, I think this is illegal that you leave. And I said, I'll be fine. And then within two years, I mean, I worked every crappy job. I worked in restaurants. I worked as a dishwasher. I worked as a security guard. But I had a musical background and I got a job as a, as a, as a security guard at a recording studio. And then that was my end. Hmm. And within two years, I worked with, uh, I, I was, we had a number one in the UK in the top 40, a band by the name of S Express. And, um, and then from there, I parlayed that into remixing and producing and writing. And I worked with, I go way back. So I was working with people as far back as In Excess and George Michael, Madonna, Wow. Uh, the last people I worked with were like Seal and Christine Aguilera and, you know, big ballers. Yeah. 
and culminating with approximately 25 number ones in the British club charts and approximately 25 number ones in the US club charts. When I was like, music business is about to get crushed with MP3s, what's next? And I think that's a trait of, of the entrepreneur as well. And the what's next for me, it wasn't research. It wasn't divine intervention. My mom's house in England was worth X. My brother who emigrated to Australia 30 years ago, his house was worth way more than Los Angeles. So I'm like, internet, LA, house prices are low. You know, I just think LA is going to blow up. So I started dumping money into real estate and that's how my real estate career began. Wow. That's culminating. Culminating, and I don't, I don't want to make this too long, but culminating with, uh, I, I started on my own. Uh, I joined a big company called Keller Williams. I was the number one Keller Williams agent in Los Angeles. And then I started my own company, to which now we have four offices and about 170 agents working at them. Man, there's so much I want to dive into there. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. That's as quick as I can make it. <laughs> First thing I got to say, man, is like respect for the trombone. I was a trombone player myself throughout high school, so I can definitely, definitely relate. I did not take it near as seriously, though. Did not end up being a classical trombonist, but <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a wild story. So one thing that I'm curious, though, is like, when you started getting into that house scene, how were you making connections with these, with these big names? I mean, you mentioned Christina Aguilera um, and, and some other like big names. So how are you, how are you building your network? How are you like getting in touch with these people? So if in the, in the early nineties, if you were into house music, you had to go clubbing, right? I mm -hmm. loved clubbing. I lived in the clubs. <laughs> I was a night rat. I mean, I was, uh, I, I get up at noon and go to bed at four in the morning every night. And I just lived in the clubs and I never, I, I kind of didn't realize until later on, I was kind of right there at the birth of the British electronic music scene. Hmm. And I happened to, this is how it happened. I happened to be in a club. My friend was doing the lights, Mark Moore, his name is lovely, lovely man. And uh, he turned around and, and people knew that I did music and, but I hadn't had any success or anything. I was just another guy in London trying to struggle my way. Sure. And he turned around and he said, "Here, you, uh, you play the piano, right? I'm like, yeah, I play the piano. He goes, you know, computers, right? I'm like, yeah, I know computers. He goes, great. You're in the band. <laughs> and that was kind of the linchpin that took everything to the next level. Um, Prior to that, I slept now grind, hard work, rejection, soul crushing defeat is just part of the journey. And I worked at a lot of studios. I got fired from studios. Um, I wanted to quit and I didn't. And I managed to walk in a studio, which was kind of like a, a second tier studio in London, hmm. uh, asked them for a job. They said, do you know what you're doing? And I kind of didn't, but I said I did. <coughs> and because it was a second tier studio, um, a lot of artists came in who didn't already have producers and, and engineers. So hmm. I got to work with people who were at the beginning of their career, not Christine Aguilera at that point, but I got to work with, you know, people who were at the birth of the British electronic music scene. And I then 
helped a lot of other people have hits as, as an engineer and a remixer. And then what I did is the labels that I worked for consistently with these, these producers, I said, hey, can I have a stab at my own remix? And the first remix I got was, actually, I have it on the wall behind me, <laughs> was Queen Latifah and Della uh, Soul, Mama Gave Birth to the Soul Children. <laughs> You're going to have to look in the Smithsonian for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then really it was just never letting failure even enter my mind because I was broke. I was 19. And if I didn't succeed, I would, I would be on the street. So failure was not an option. And I just kept risking sounds and I kept having hits and, uh, and then, you know, bigger artists came. My real break came when in excess called me up and asked me to do a remix. Uh, that was called Bitter Tears. And they liked that one so much, they used it for the single. And then that, that then they, they had the biggest album in the world. And then that's everything else just went. Man, that's, that's absolutely wild. So one thing that I'm curious about, because clearly you were putting yourself out there time and time again, like asking yeah. to, 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 to do these things. How, how do you think about rejection or how were you able to, to keep putting yourself out there when you were facing all of those no's, you were getting all of these like negative responses? How, how were you able to keep going? And like, what was your, what was your fuel? What was your motivation there? I had this burning desire to be a guy that would... Uh, 80 years old, have a heart attack and die at a mixing console, right? That was, that was my, I'm like, music, somebody once said this to me, a really successful Grammy winning um, artist who's a very close friend of mine, a guy by the name of Dennis White, who goes under the name uh, Latroit. Um, he calls music his mistress. Music was my, my absolute love. It was in every cell of my being. And I needed to do music like I needed to breathe. And success was never monetary for me, and it never has been monetary. Success is breaking through barriers. And I like when rejection happens, which it did all, when I got fired, I got fired, dude. I was like, I'm done, I'm toast. Um, and then you get fired again and then you get fired again and, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. There are still doors that I can knock on. And I almost feel that, that you know, entrepreneur is a sexy word. When I was a kid, entrepreneur was a, my mother said, an entrepreneur is someone that's crazy with money. Now entrepreneur is the new buzzword. And, and I think, it's almost like a baptism by fire, right? If you want to be an entrepreneur, it's like you got to get in the ring with Mike Tyson for two years and get, can I swear? Sure. Get the shit knocked out of you for two years. It, basically, it should say that. And if I could write a book saying how to be a successful entrepreneur, there would be one line in it. If you can get through the first two years of having the shit knocked out of you without quitting, you're going to be fine. And that's, I, I kept that in my mind. Mm. Mm. 
That's a must. That's a must. So now I'm curious, man, how did you transition from music since that was like your soul, your body, like you lived and breathed music? How did you make that transition into real estate? And what sort of, I mean, I know you said you saw the opportunity with like your brother over in Australia and and LA real estate being so cheap, but like, how, how did you make that transition? Why did you decide that was what you wanted to be doing? I, I'm going to, you know what I want to do? I'm going to, I'm going to kind of tell you the, the absolute truth. Let's do it. Because I know you got a lot of young folks watching you and success. And I can tell you from firsthand sex success comes with, with awesome bear traps. It comes with landmines and it comes with shit that can destroy your life. So I was in the rave scene, the, the dance scene. It was called the, da- the dan- dance music. EDM before it was called EDM. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine going to clubs and going to Ibiza. I DJed in Ibiza. I used to go there and, and, and spend weeks at a time. There's a lifestyle attached to that, which is drugs and alcohol. And I found without knowing it, the drugs and alcohol had begun to take its toll on me. Hmm. And my success was, was, was great. And I came from an era where you could be very rock and roll and you could take drugs and it was cool, but it, it, it became something I couldn't escape from. And I'm telling all of this to you. I don't normally go this deep, but I'm saying this to you because I wish I'd known this when I was 20. And the success meant parties and you know, you're doing drugs with massive celebrities and you're like at this private event in Brazil and, and it all seems super glamorous. But, but what was happening was I was beginning to kind of erode uh, who Peter actually was. Hmm. And so I skipped forward to um, when I decided to quit the music business, who was, and the music business was my, was my beating heart. I had tried to get sober a number of times. I couldn't get sober while I stayed in the clubs. It just was never gonna happen. In conjunction with that, I used to be in all these nerdy chat rooms. And uh, I remember some kid from like Korea or something said, do you know you can rip now? And I'm like, what's ripping? And he said, ripping is where you can extract the zeros and ones from CDs. As soon as I heard that, I knew the, the game was over with music. And at the same time, I wanted to throw my rope over the wall of the music business because I needed to kind of clean up my act. And here is how I got into real estate. Yes, I had that moment of, you know, my brother's house and my mom's house. But I was at a crossroads. And this is, this is kind of important for you guys. You might not have a dramatic moment like like drugs and alcohol, but you might have a moment where you're in a job and you just hate it. And you're like, shit, man, I need to make that jump. And I'm so scared to make that jump. So I dated this chick who was just toxic and she had a very successful antiques business in the U S here in Los Angeles. Hmm. And she was just toxic and she quit that and got into real estate. And she had some minor success. And I, that was all, I, that was the only roadmap I needed. I, and, and in life, I found this, this happens in every field. Once you find someone that you know and you trust, 
that's done it before you, a, a mentor, she was not my mentor, but she was an example. It gave me the courage to leap. And it gave me the courage to leap knowing that I had burned my boat at the shore and I would never turn back. And I literally went to bed. I, I hung up my headphones as a record producer and I woke up as a real estate agent and I never looked back. And I stopped taking music jobs as much as I wanted to keep taking them. I stopped. And when I joined Keller Williams, I shuffled into the back of the room. I kept my mouth shut, my ears open, and I didn't even tell anybody about my former life because I was there to just absorb and learn everything I could possibly learn and then restart my life. And I had another moment of failure is just not in the equation here. Wow. And I, I just was obsessed and I worked 16 hours a day for five years and ended up being the number one agent in, in LA. Yeah. So talk to us about, about that and, and how you were able to, I mean, I know you said you were working long days and, and really studying, but what did that process look like for you? And what were the things that set you apart from all the other agents that, that weren't the number one agent in LA? I think it was a couple of things. So when you have worked in a creative field, such as music or film and TV, we all worked on projects and gave our heart and soul and 20 hours a day at some times. And the projects would never see the light of day. You'd make zero dollars on them. And some you'd make great money. I took that work ethic of the music business into corporate America. And at least in the office I worked in, I was outworking everyone. I would get there before everyone. I would pound every single contact I ever knew. I kept my ego at the door and it was embarrassing. I was calling record labels that I would once produce records for and say, hey, I've had a change of direction. You know, if you ever want to buy a house, it's very, very humbling. Yeah. But I kept doing it. I kept my ego at bay and I wasn't snobby. Like if somebody wanted to sell two bedroom condo in a crappy part of town, I was there. Somebody wanted to sell something 50 miles away, I was there. Somebody needed advice on a lease for free, I was there. And I just kept giving, I was, I was of service every minute of every day I possibly could and then I was reaching out to everyone as well. And, and re that is what was the differentiator. I want to talk more about ego because I think that's a really important thing, especially for the younger listeners. So how, how were you, you setting that aside? Because I mean, clearly you had a lot of success in the music industry. Like you said, man, I mean like top hits in, in the UK, in the U S and, and, and you could have easily walked into the Keller Williams flaunting that and saying like, look how amazing I am. Look at all this stuff that I've done. But, but clearly that wasn't what you did. So talk to the younger listeners about, just, just ego in general and how you were able to and why you, why you decided to do that. I guess this, in my case, I'll tell you, oh, we're really getting deep today. Didn't expect <laughs> to get this deep. So when I was having all those hits in the UK, right? Um, 
one can have a lot of success and have a very low opinion of oneself. It, hmm. it can happen. And lots of folks have that. And you, that's why you hear of, you know, actors and musicians overdosing. It isn't because they're just like party animals. Some are. It's because they, wanna, they want to escape, right? They want to escape themselves. Because no matter whatever they do, they think it's crappy. When I was having these hits in the UK and here, I was eligible for lots of gold records. I never collected any of them because I thought if I looked at them, it would be the beginning of the end of my career because I looked at it almost like, I almost looked at ego as uh, the ego would turn me into a pillar of salt. It would stop my career in its tracks. Hmm. And, and I think it was the same when I, when I joined uh, Keller Williams as a brand new agent. Serving, would ego serve me? And, and it just wouldn't. Now the self-promotion and there is self-confidence, which circle the sun known as ego. And if we can separate them, you've got to self-promote, you've got to be self-confident, and you've got to be able to walk up to anyone. But when that gets into cocky is when the house of cards just tumbles. So service is the opposite of ego. And I just remain in service every moment I possibly can. How do you, how do you think about like, like obviously you're serving other people to help other people, but like, how do you decide like who to serve and what to prioritize when you are trying to serve people? Because clearly there's a lot of things that are sort of like vying for your attention, your energy, your time. How do you decide which of those are, are worth what they're asking for? Great question. So, With my real estate career, uh, there was a significant development early on because I met my wife at a rave <laughs> um, and she is an incredibly bright woman. She is a Vietnamese refugee who she came here when she was five. She is also a Buddhist from birth and when you work with someone like that, as much as I railed against it in the beginning, because she would say to me, everything is exactly the way it's meant to be. The clients you're meant to get will be in front of you. The clients you're not meant to get will never be your client, no matter how hard you work to get them. So you go after everyone, but who you get is who you're meant to get. That ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you is one of the most profound skills of being an entrepreneur. It I, my pulse never quickens during the day. Every 15 minutes of my life is scheduled. I live a very busy life. I never get stressed. And I'm going to I'm going to kind of give you in a nutshell, the absolute secret to being massively busy, hopefully massively successful, but not crushed by your career, because that can happen. And I see people get chewed up all the time. Um, the secret is this, keep your head out of expectations. Our job is to turn up every day, give as much as we can to our people, 
share as much knowledge as we got, do the very, very best we can do, and maybe we try to do it better than anyone else. But ultimately, if that client or that company or that artist goes with someone else, instead of being consumed as I was in my early career, with God damn it, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? It's no longer about what did I do? It, I have now flipped it to that's the way it's meant to be. And when you live your life day after day like this, my God, it's like the universe cracks open the treasure chest and says, oh, you've got the key. Here's a bit more success. And here's a bit more success. And you know, here's a bit more success. Here's the deal though. You gotta keep giving it away for free. And you gotta, not, not, your, not, not my, me being a real estate agent, but you gotta keep giving that knowledge away. You've got to listen to people who've done it before you and you've got to pass it on to people who are coming up. And that's the contract I have with Mother Universe. And here's the deal. My contract with Mother Universe is she says to me, I hope I don't sound like I'm crazy right now, because <laughs> I believe this shit. No, yeah. The contract is I need to devote 10% of my time to helping others. When I devote 10% of my time to helping others, I am rewarded 100%. And I don't do it because, shit, I better give some stuff away. I do it because I like helping people. And that's why I was a record producer instead of being in the band, because I liked being in the back room pulling the levers. And that's now why I'm a, record, uh, why I'm a, a, a real estate broker and, and not just an agent. Nothing wrong with being just an agent because I like being in the back room pulling the levers. I like to build things and I like to pass on what I've, I've learned. Mm. That, was, that was powerful. I mean, if y'all missed that, like I, you, you got to rewind like five minutes and listen to that again because, <laughs> because we just got some amazing, amazing value. And I, I really do agree with, with a lot of that in, in that when you do like step back and sort of just realize that, yeah, like you said, man, the clients that you're meant to land like they will come to you. And as long as you are consistently working at it, like those are the clients that, that you are going to, to connect with. And the ones that you aren't are just the ones that you aren't, you know? Right. And, and I don't want to mislead people. I don't wake up in the morning and wait for divine intervention. No, and wonder yeah, yeah. who I'm going to stumble into. I bust my ass day after day, hustling, meeting people, taking meetings, exploring uh, avenues that often end in dead ends. And I will keep doing that. The difference is when something doesn't work out that I really want to work out before I'd be like, yeah, shit, how can we make this work? And I would manipulate it and twist it. And, you know, it's almost like a bad relationship. It's like a bad girlfriend that you keep mm -hmm. going back to. And ultimately the relationship disintegrates. And I've learned now that if something you give it a good college try to save it, right? Yeah. But if, if, it, if it shows signs that it's, it's going to be on life support soon, then that just means another door is opening for me and another opportunity or two or three that will be completely missed if I obsess on something that's a sinking ship. I couldn't agree more. And, and I like that you brought up opportunities there because I, I want you to talk about how you recognize and also take advantage of opportunities because I'm, I'm a firm believer that 
that opportunities are not so much a rare thing as people make them out to be. I really believe that, that most times people just don't even realize when there is an opportunity in front of them because they either don't know what they're looking for, they haven't really trained their brain to recognize these things. So talk to us about, for you, recognizing and taking advantage of opportunities and maybe share a time when you were really able to, to capitalize on an opportunity that you were able to recognize. Great question. Um... I'm going to frame it. I'm going to give you a slightly longer answer on that one. I'm going to frame it with this. So I work in, um, I, I work anywhere in LA, but I do a lot in Beverly Hills, Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a m- common mistake with real estate professionals. They get in their car, they drive straight to the middle of Beverly Hills and try and find clients. It's impossible. People in the middle of Beverly Hills, I've already got 10 realtors that they know. So I think that the, the, the theory of, of apprenticeship working with friends and family and distant places and, you know, everybody wants to sell a $10 million house, but you've got to start with a $200,000 one. And so I think opportunities get missed when the bar is set too high. I'm going to be the, you know, an angel invested startup in the next three years. will join the line of thousands of other people. So when an opportunity comes along, in my case, I'm going to give you my, 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 my 65% rule. Mm. There isn't one time in my life where I have seen an opportunity, well, maybe a couple, but generally speaking, an opportunity is, is wrapped in insecurity, fear, and um, unwillingness, right? A lot of the time, meaning kind of sounds good, but I'm comfy where I am right now. And that's a bit of a risk. And I know it's going to be successful, but yeah. And, and we're going to get into fear and ego a little bit later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so opportunity for me, when I can, all of the, all bar a couple of opportunities, I've only been able to get to 65% convinced. The last 35% is always a leap of faith. And if you can get to 65%, ladies and gentlemen, if you are like in Boise right now and you want to move to LA or you want to move to Miami and you think it's going to be okay, but you got kind of got that little bit of excitement, you got to jump. Because we live in the United States. Well, I'm sure many of your viewers don't, but mm-hmm. you and I live in the United States. My opinion, best country in the world. What is the worst that can happen? We can fail and go back. We're not going to get bombed. We're not going to get executed. We're not going to be under a freeway bridge. We're going to go back. And so if you're, you guys are in your late teens, early 20s, early 30s, regret, and I don't have any, regret is something that is a tattoo and it never comes off. Mm. So... If you get to 65, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's good. Some entrepreneurs are like, if I get 50%, I'll jump. I'm 65. Richard Branson was, I think, 80 or something. Um, but that whole leaping out of the plane, finding a parachute on the way down, that's the exciting part. Cash and prizes is a headache. Finding a path that is not trodden in a jungle 
is so freaking exciting. I mean, that's the game. Yes. That's the game. Yes. Oh man, I'm I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. I I I could not agree more. And and looking at like what is the worst that could happen has been something that's really helped me like put things into perspective because we get all these ideas wrapped up in our head and like stressed out about like oh well I I don't know what would happen if I went there or like if I did that. But you just got to take a step back and be like, well, what's the what's the worst thing that could could happen and and nine times out of ten it's it's nothing it's not that bad you can always go back to the way it was and 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 all you've lost is like maybe a little bit of time but you've learned so much in the process that it's like it it was so worth it so i just man i'm I'm really i'm really glad you mentioned that because i think that could really help out a lot of listeners i'm gonna give you a little nugget as well which is when i was uh uh in my late teens early 20s you know trying to find a path um before, I mean, I had success at young, but I was out the door at 15. So for those three three years, I was working every crappy job I could find, right? Dishwashing, as I mentioned earlier. Here's what you guys have now. If you got a car, you got Uber. <laughs> what a great freaking invention. You can work when you want to work. You can earn not as much as you want to earn, but you can earn enough to survive. And you need to take a day off and go have a meeting. Boom. I see sometimes people sitting in their apartments waiting for Apple to call them to say, you know, we're looking for a designer for our our iPhone 11. Dude, it's never going to happen. So use the technology that's out there to not fuel, but give you enough money to eat and, and live and chase those dreams. 100%. 100%. Now, Peter, I do want to dive into, into your Netflix show as well, because I'm, I'm fascinated with how that sort of came together. So tell us the story of how you went from, again, you started your own, you started your own brokerage. You've got this real estate thing going. When did you approach Netflix? Did they approach you? How'd you, how'd you get into to the, the, the sort of film business? I had zero interest in being on television. Uh, not that I'm, I don't love it. I love it, but sure. it wasn't my focus. I wasn't trying to get on TV. So when I set up PLG Estates, this is around 2010, we set it up. So, you know, Facebook was kind of in its infancy. Twitter was, you know, underway. This is pre-Instagram. Um, and I had come out of an era as, of a DJ and a, and a producer where self-promotion was much harder because there was no internet. So when we set up PLG, I was like, okay, I cannot outspend Keller Williams in, in newspaper ads. Plus, I don't believe in newspapers anymore. I can't outspend Banker. I can't outspend Prudential, the big label brands, but they all suck and they're all boring and they're all like my granddad's company. So what I can do is I can run circles around them with social media. So I set to really making, my, making it my business to learn how to market through social media in 2010, 11, 12, 13. And our social media was powerful. I have not recruited any agents. I've had 170 ask if they can join my company. Um, And um, video was the linchpin. So I'd been wanting to do it for a a long, long time. Video was the linchpin for PLG because I knew that no one in real estate, everybody in entertainment, but nobody in real estate was doing video. No one. 
So I'm like, okay. And then the voices, you're too fat. You're too old. You sound stupid. Nobody can understand you. We're all the things in my head. You got this horrible British accent. But I'm like, you know what? Whatever. And I just plowed into video hard. Then I got into vlogging. And then I accumulated quite a library of, of videos. And then Netflix freaking called me. Wow. They said, we found you on YouTube. I guess me and Justin Bieber. <laughs> and they said, would you like to uh, host a show on Netflix? At first, I thought it was one of my, one of my boys goofing around. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Who is there? Come on. And I was like, this is wild. And I never believed I would get it. So I did the interview via a video thinking, well, that was fun. Never going to get it. And then they flew me down. I was at San Francisco at a conference and they flew me down to meet the co-host to do what they call a chemistry test. And all the Netflix was there and the producers and there were these super handsome guys who were also auditioning. And I'm like, well, this is a giggle, isn't it? You know, <laughs> never going to get it, but it's a story to tell the kids. And uh, so I just went for it. I just went for it. No holes barred was like swearing, cracking jokes and, goofing around and doing all of this shit that I thought they want some guy like million dollar listing that's suited and booted. Mm. And, and they went, we have been looking for someone for a year and everybody is so boring and straight <laughs> and neatly dressed. And they said, you are, they said, you know, you're the punk rock guy of real estate. We want you on the show. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that's how it happened. That is wild, man. I mean, my girlfriend like tunes into the show. She's had me watch a couple episodes. So I'm just like, it, it's so interesting to like watch someone on TV and then like sit down and have like, like a 30, 45 minute conversation with them. It's definitely, it's, it's an interesting experience. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it would do it. I'm going to tell you when I was and in an insecurity, right. In, in, to you entrepreneurs out there, insecurity is an entrepreneur's friend. It will never go away. In my case, it never goes away. But I've learned to tune it out, right? It's almost like the debating society. I have the debating society sitting behind my head here, which are like four guys or six guys, they all look like me. And, and when I have an idea, if I turn around and, and ask, say, what do you think about this, fellas? They'll be like, well, that sucks. No, you're too old, dude. Forget it. You, you're now. Nah, you're not the right part. Forget it. You suck. In fact, I think this is the beginning of the decline of your career, to be frank. <laughs> and so what I do now is I just tune out the negativity. And when I was on the set, not the sex, we moved around from city to city. I didn't unpack for two weeks because I'm like, they're going to fire me. And they didn't. Mm. And I was like, okay. Just remain in service and out of ego. So every day I turned up, I went around and spoke to everybody on the set, the carpenters, the lighting guys, the, you know, the gal getting the coffee. And I was just of service to everyone I could meet. Not in a schmoozy, false no. way, but in a, hey, we're all in this boat paddling. We're all on the same team here. And it was a beautiful experience. 
how do you how do you turn out how did you tune out those voices like did you like is meditation a, a heavy practice for you or like what is what do you do to to quiet those um no i wish i did meditate uh, i've tried it but it's so hard um i recommend it though if you can mm-hmm. my how do i tune out the voices well they were very cunning baffling and powerful for many years which is r- really why i i kind of got into alcohol and drugs to shut them up but like any bully right so now we're going to get into fear and ego ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Insecurity, um, low self-esteem, high self-esteem, ego, they are all rooted in two things. Well, they're all rooted in one thing, which is fear. Ego is fear of what other people think of you. Um, Low self-esteem is kind of fear of what you think of yourself. And it goes on and on and on. Fear of success, fear of failure. It's all fear-based. And that fear is corrosive. And it will eat away at your dreams and your hopes. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to use this word again. There is a word that completely dilutes the acid in fear. And I've said it over and over again today. Service. If you are in a moment, we all get it, where we're staring at the computers and we're like, shit, man, this shit sucks. I'm just going to wipe it and start again. Oh, my God, the career's over. Jesus, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to go, you know, drive Uber again. When you have that moment, call up one of your boys or one of your gals and say, hey, that project that you were working on that you were struggling with, let's talk about it. Let me see if I can help you. And when you get out of self for a minute or five or 10 or 20, this amazing thing happens is when you go back to your work, you have a moment of clarity. And then that moment of clarity, I have learned to trust with my very soul because it's fleeting. When I walk in and I'm working on a video or a show or a sizzle reel or a a deal, when I walk in, and I ask myself the question, should I do this? I get a quick answer from a voice that is really quite low. It's, it's softly spoken. And whatever answer that is, I believe it's the right one because it's my gut. Then it's shortly followed by the six matey boys of the debating society going, no, it sucks. You need to ditch that client. They're an arsehole. La, 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 la. But that very first quiet instinct after I've had time away is priceless and that is where the entrepreneur lives Mm, that was that was powerful well peter you've been dropping a ridiculous amount of value um for me and our listeners and i'm extremely grateful for that i do have some questions now that i like to ask all of my guests so are you feeling ready for those yes go let's do it the first of which is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now are these rapid fire or are these long answers no these are whatever you want to be um, well, I'm in the middle of, of developing a bunch of shows, which who knows if they'll fly, but, uh, I'm an old record guy. So, uh, I'm used to creating things. I'm really, really excited about those. Um, I'm really excited about the, the growth of PLG because when you are an indie, it can be brutal for a few years. 
and you get no respect. Not that you need respect, but we're at that, we're at that flashpoint in LA right now where it's like, oh shit, you guys have been around nearly 10 years. Oh, that's right. You guys are cool. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an overnight success after a decade. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I will tell you that something that made my, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up was um, a US-based drum and bass DJ out of Texas by the name of Flight. If any of you guys like drum and bass out there, there is a record uh, called Break the Loop, which is sick beyond. And you talked about meditation earlier. Mm -hmm. My meditation... Where I, where I can wipe the hard drives of my mind is when I put on my electronic music shows. And when I put on my electronic music shows, the rest of the world doesn't exist and I'm back with my mistress and it just clears my head. I actually like to work when I'm doing emails. I have pounding dance music going on. My professional studio headphones <laughs> because I cannot concentrate in silence. I need, and that helps me. So what am I really, really excited about? I don't want to sound like some wanker, but dude, I am the most, and I genuinely am. I am the most grateful guy. I'm full of gratitude. I love what I do. And every, people get pissed off because they say to me, how are you doing? I'm like, never better. And I'm, <laughs> it's just like, I, I, I look, look, I'm going to break it down. Mm -hmm. I wake up in LA mm -hmm. in a house that I own that I love with my wife who I love and adore with my three children that I love and adore before I've even taken a piss. I've won. The rest of the day is gravy. Mm. And so now that's fine. I'm an older guy and I've got stuff now, but if I'd had that mentality when I was living in my studio apartment under a, a home in, in London, it's amazing. It's, it's almost like it, it, you become a magnet and you become a magnet for the right type of people. And all of the, the toxic, slimy assholes, they all work together. And all <laughs> of the cool, you know, giving, sharing people work together. A few people slip through here and there, but life is too short for me to not enjoy it. Mm, that is the name of the game right there. Wow. That was, man, I, I, I really, <laughs> I relate to a lot of what you just said right there, man. I mean, as far as gratitude goes, and it really shows with, with just this conversation that we've had, like, I can really, I can really tell that, that you are somebody who is extremely just like positive and, and giving and grateful. And you've shared so much on this episode that I'm just like, I'm extremely grateful for that. And I'm grateful for being on it for real, <laughs> as, as, as annoying as it is. I, I, I'm like super grateful. It shows, man. You can, you, I can, I can tell very, very quickly when someone is is excited and grateful to be here, and when they're not, and and it's refreshing to 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 be talking with someone like yourself. So I, I'm you very, too. I mean, thank you for that. Uh, the next thing that I'm curious about is whether or not you have any habits that have served you particularly well, either in your business or your lifestyle. <laughs> oh boy, I've had some habits that have served me pretty badly in the past. <laughs> But we won't go there. <laughs> um, habits that serve me well. Yes. So the number one habit I, I, I can recommend, and this takes a minute, right? My parents, God rest their souls. My parents, I was raised Church of England, Protestant, right? And my parents were atheists. Not that I'm getting deep here. 
But my culture was one of, I got to get mine. I got to get mine first and then worry about everyone else. Mm. Okay. So I was raised that way. And for the most part, that's kind of what I experienced in the UK as a whole. Forgive me, UK listeners. I know that I've been out of there for 26 years and I know Britain as everywhere else has evolved. But when I grew up in, in, in England, in my part of England, that was kind of the vibe. So when I was in my early career, I often looked for what I could extract. What can I get from this? What's in this for me? And then after being married to a Buddhist for so long, I, in conjunction with being a sober dude, I now realize the secret, and I'm really sorry to sound old Tony Robbins on you, but the <laughs> secret is just like JFK said, it ain't what I can get out, it's what I can put in. And if I put in and get nothing, then I'm fine with that. Yep. Yep. I'm fi- now, I don't want to cre- invent something and then somebody else make billions from it. Of course not. Oh, yeah. But if I hang with a bunch of people and all I give them is, you know, strength, experience, and hope, then they feel good. I feel good. We all win. Whereas, you know, and, and I'm going to give you an example. One of my pals and one of my clients is a guy by the name of Billy Steinberg. Now, Billy Steinberg was, uh, is one of the America's most successful lyricists. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, he wrote some of the biggest songs for like Madonna and you know, big, 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 big songs. I was going through, uh, I was his engineer, and I was going through uh, working with the band, and I was writing the songs with the band. And then I said to Billy, I'm like, hey, Billy, you know, I'm working with this band, and they only want to give me like, you know, 10% of the song, and, you know, this other chick they're giving 15, and then the band's taking like 65 or whatever it was. And I said, it's just not really sitting right with me because we're all in the room and we're all working. And it was essentially me and two other people. And Billy said to me, Peter, no matter how many people are in the room with me, when I write a song, we all split it equally, even if I do all the work. And that carried forward with me. I didn't work with that band and that band disappeared. So now whenever I work with people, we're always equal partners on whatever we do. Even if I do most of the water carrying, I'll still be an equal partner just because I wouldn't feel right taking 70% while somebody else takes 30 if we're working on a project equally. Mm. Did I answer That's, your question? That was, that was more above and beyond the question. Well, Peter, man, I really do respect your time. So I want you to, to let the listeners know where they can follow up with you learn more about what you're doing and uh, connect with you. Sure. Well, my Instagram is where I kind of live. My Instagram is Peter Lorimer. I'm sure the links will be here somewhere, yep. but I'll spell it for you. It's Peter, P-E-T-E-R, Lorimer, L-O-R-I-M-E-R. And on YouTube, Peter Lorimer Official. On Facebook, Peter Lorimer Official. And guess what? The website, PeterLorimer.com. Amazing, amazing. I'll link all of those up in the show notes. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I'm extremely grateful for you, your time, and you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. It's my pleasure. This was a great podcast, and you, I've seen some of your other ones. You're doing a great job, a great service for our community. <laughs> I appreciate that, Peter. Well, y'all, that is a 
wrap. That's another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. If you guys enjoyed this episode, I got two quick asks of you really quick. The first of which is if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would mean the absolute world to me. We're closing in on 200 reviews right now. Um, I read each and every one of those. And if you uh, screenshot it, tag me in your Instagram story, I will be sure to repost that as well. The second thing that I want to ask you is if you guys are interested in starting your own podcast, okay, learning how I was able to take young, smart money from the ground up, turn it into a top 100 business podcast in a few short months. I put together this free training that I'm, I'm giving away to people, basically teaching you the secrets to podcasting, the stuff that other people aren't really talking about. Like you can find videos online of like the best podcasting setup or like the best podcasting gear, but no one's really talking about how to land big guests, how to network with influencers, how to actually monetize your show. So I want to put together a free training uh, for that. If you guys are interested, the link will be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, you can go to applecrater.com slash podcast. That's applecrater.com slash podcast. And check out that absolutely free training that I put together for y'all to uh, get yourself educated in the world of podcasting. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I want to teach others. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for the show. Don't want to waste too much of your time. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day, wherever it leads you. And I'm glad you chose to spend this last hour here on Young Smart Money.